Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a basic text study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our basic text, Narcotics Anonymous. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the basic text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We're going to have introductions and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. My name is Donna. I'm an addict. I live in Eugene, Oregon. My clean date is Thanksgiving 1985. My home uh, area is Lane County area of Narcotics Anonymous. We have lots of great meetings out here. Come on out and see us. Happy to be here. Hi, my name's Paul. I'm an addict. Uh, I got clean in New Orleans, Louisiana. I attend meetings in New Orleans and the Pensacola area. Uh, my home group is the Open Mind Group that meets on Monday nights at 730. Uh, I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast. And uh, if you're on a relapse, come back to the fellowship. We need you. Hi, everybody. My name is Eva P. from uh, Salem, Oregon. My clean date is 6-10-2000. My area is the Mid Willamette Valley area of Narcotics Anonymous. My home group is Live for Today, and uh, it's on Wednesday nights at 7.30 at Westminster Church. Come and find me. I would love to meet you. Hey, family. My name is Allison C. I'm an addict. Um, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I'm in the Bayou Recovery area. My clean date is April 13th. 2010. Thanks. Hey, I'm Edgar. I'm an addict. Um, my clean date is March 9th, 2015. I am from the capital area of NA in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian B. I am an addict. Uh, my clean date is 11-18-2019. Uh, I'm a member of the WE area of Narcotics Anonymous. Anonymous. My home group is the Sunday morning literature meeting of NA. Uh, come down and see us sometime. We'd love to have you. Hey, I'm Jessica. Um, I'm from Berea, Kentucky, and we're part of the Kentucky Survivors Area. My clean date is December 1st, 2015, and my home group is NA as such in Nicholasville, Kentucky. We meet Monday nights at 7. I'm an addict. My name is Douglas L. My clean date is March 12th, 2000. Got clean in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, really excited that you're tuning in. I suggest that you get your basic text, a highlighter, and a pen or pencil. And uh, here we go. So we're going to start with the symbol, Roman numeral 15, in your sixth edition basic text. So with that, Jessica, would you be willing to read that first paragraph? Sure. Simplicity is the key to our symbol. It imitates the simplicity of our fellowship. All sorts of occult and esoteric connotations can be found in its simple outlines, but foremost in the minds of the fellowship are easily understood meanings and relationships. All right, folks, so when we look at this, uh, a couple notes that, that we may want to take down. Occult um, could be looked at as supernatural in meaning. And then esoteric is understood by a few people with a special meaning of uh, a select group that would possess the understanding. So we could read that sentence with those definitions applied to it. Anybody else have any comments? I like that it's simple because I'll confuse the heck out of things. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Edgar, can you take the next paragraph? All right. The outer circle denotes a universal and total program that has room within for all manifestations of the recovering person. Any comments? All right, Brian B, next one. The square whose lines are defined is easily seen and understood, but there are other unseen parts of the symbol. 
The square base denotes goodwill, the grounds of both the fellowship and the members of our society. Goodwill is best as exemplified in service. Proper service is doing the right thing for the right reason. When goodwill supports and motivates both the individual and the fellowship, we are fully whole and wholly free. Probably the last, the last to be the lost to freedom will be the stigma of being an addict. All right, folks, some comments on this? Bob? Yeah, I, um, I, I was reading this this morning. First of all, the, the, the circle at the bottom is the universal program. And I have to remember that this is a universal program. We were talking about before we started this recording about the inclusion of everyone in this. And people who don't look like me, don't believe like me, don't do things like me, don't vote like me, don't pray like me, don't dance to music like me. And I have to remember that's the, that's the strength of this fellowship. And, the, and then the other thing was, is goodwill is the basis of the pyramid. And I think, part of my problem when I get here is I start like I'm like I'll let all kinds of people come up in the in the shooting gallery with me I don't give a shit who's up in there but then I get up in here and I start to get really particular like like sitting in a meeting and wondering who's clean and who's not and did they do something that I think they sh and do they take this drug or do they take this medicine and are they clean? And that gets into a real discussion about who's, in, who's supposed to be in here. And, and the longer I stay clean, goodwill is, it's not my business. I'm not in charge. I'm not a narc. I'm not in here to, to question your clean time. My goodwill is, if you say you're a member, you're a member. If you say you're a part of this home group, you're a part of this home group. I'm not the judge and jury and I have to, that's what goodwill affords me. And I have to remember that when I start to get judgy. Um, and, and plus I need to let go because I, I, want, I want the same, you know, the same freedom that, I, that I'm gonna get when, when people don't judge me, so. Thanks, Paul. Can I jump in? Allison, jump on in. Okay. Um, I, I really like the doing the right thing for the right reason. Um, that's like one of my life mottos and it keeps things simple for me. Um, because if, if I just focus on doing the next right thing and leave the results up to a higher power that I don't always understand, it removes all those expectations. Um, and, and that just keeps things simple for me. And um, yeah, so that's all I got. Thanks, Allison. Eva, jump on in. For me, where, um, where it said, when goodwill supports and motivates both the individual and the fellowship, we are fully whole and fully free. And um, I forget that everything that I do, sometimes I forget that everything that I do or say to one individual or another in the fellowship outside of a meeting can affect NA as a whole. And so that I have to uh, keep you know, my side of the street clean so that I can stay fully whole. Like I want my, I want unity in my area. I want unity in my fellowship. I want unity in my life. Right. And if I don't have goodwill when I'm talking outside of a meeting, AKA gossiping <laughs> or whatever, not even meaning to just whatever, um, that I am, um, causing us to not be fully whole and then in turn not fully free so that was so uh, eye-opener for me for set me back for a sec That's all. thanks eva brian b jump on in um i like the part about you know where it talks about uh you know also doing the right thing for the right reason like personally like something that i'm i've been really interested in is uh you know, eventually you're taking on a position with the hospital and institution, uh, you know, part of our program where you go into, you know, whatever hospital it may be or jail, you know, just to carry the NA message to someone who might not have it readily available to them. And, uh, you know, that's basically to help the person that, that that's never heard our message before. So not only is it helping, you know, us as, as the addict to stay clean, but someone might hear a life-saving message in there, you know, so, to say like, 
you know, when I get out of here, man, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to attend an NA meeting. You know, let's see what these guys are all about. And if they see us out in our communities, you know, doing the right thing, like if it's like a cleanup project in your town, you know, we, we not only help our other addicts, but we can, we could be a positive impact in our community as well. So, you know, the whole stigma of, uh, you know, he or she is a drug addict, you know, they'll never do anything right. You know, we can squash that and, and really have a positive impact on those around us. Thanks, Brian. Edgar, jump on in. Yeah, so uh, the last uh, sentence, uh, it says, probably the last to be lost to freedom will be the stigma of being an addict. And that sounds a little complicated. Like, I don't think I fully understand what it's talking about. But to me, like, what that's saying is, like, talking about if I fall victim of the stigma of addicts of, you know, I will never get better, uh, you know, once an addict, always an addict, you know, and, and the basic text talks about that as well. Um, then I will lose my own freedom of like being able to stay clean and, and having that freedom of choice and all the stuff that comes with recovery. So I just thought that was, that, that stuck out to me. So. Thanks, Edgar. Anybody want to provide some context to that last sentence? I'll take a shot at it. I think the, um, I think you're right, Edgar. Uh, that's a good point on that. Um, maybe like a little wordplay, right? Lost to freedom just me, me, means kind of, you know, smashed, right? The the stigma, right? Of once an addict, always an addict. We're, we'll never be good, right? We're hopelessly bad, right? There, there's no recover, no recovery for us, no options, no hope. I think that thing with this is saying is like, hey, that may be sad, but true. That may be the last that may be the last um, freedom that we get to experience. And that's okay. Right. And that's okay. And then I want to make another point too, Eve, I really, I really agree with that. And uh, it kind of spoke to me as well as like um, in goodwill. It's, it's the ground for the fellowship for sure, but also, also for the members in it, which is me. And that needs, to, that needs to be me when I go out, you know, other than the hour that I meet with you folk or at an, you know, at a meeting or something like this, that's, you know, I'm a part of their goodwill you know, should be driving me. But when I go out and I interact with others, um, goodwill needs to be the ground for which, for which I'm existing on. And so, um, so that's good there. Yeah. Uh, we got Allison and then Paul. Allison, jump on in. Yeah. So as we were discussing this last sentence, I was looking at the symbol and um, the, the triangle or the pyramid, the freedom is at the pinnacle of it. So when I look at that, for me, what that's saying in conjunction with the sentence is that when I work a total and complete program, I have freedom from active addiction and um, the stigma of me being an addict is lost because I'm a, a productive member of society, which is what NA helps mm. me be. So that was just my understanding when I glanced at it. Thanks, Allison. What's happening, Paul? Unmute yourself. Sorry. Um, I really liked what Ava was saying about unity. Um, I have to remember that personal recovery depends on NA unity. My ability to stay clean is in direct correlation with my ability to be a part of. Because mm. unity is not about y'all. Unity is always about me and being a part of something, not something that's welcoming me. But am I being a part of? Am I stepping into the arena or into that circle, that universal program? And, and that's the key for me is that I can't stay clean on my own. This book by itself will not keep me clean. This book with you all in this process will keep me clean. And I have to remember that. I can't read or write my way to recovery. I have to participate with you all, which is mm -hmm. not my nature. I shot dope in a bathroom alone. It's not my nature to do, to do that. And so I have to step over my nature sometimes and be a part of this. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. 
any other comments before we move on to the last paragraph? Paul, can you continue with that? Can you read that last paragraph? I can. It is the four pyramid sides that rise from the base in a three-dimensional figure that represents self, society, service, and God. All rise to the point of freedom. All parts are closely related to the needs and aims of the addict who is seeking recovery and to the purpose of the fellowship, which is to make recovery available to all. The greater the base, as we grow in unity in numbers and in fellowship, the broader the sides of the pyramid and the higher the point of freedom. So for me, those four sides, if, if any one of them is too big or too small, it throws the entire pyramid out of wonk, just from a purely uh, geometric thing. And I have to remember, any one of those, if I'm like all service and no God, or if I'm all out in society and no reflection, if I'm not taking care of myself, but I'm running around uh, talking to all 20 sponsees and acting stupid and doing all kinds of, and I got you booked on this day for this fourth step and, and I'm not writing anything, I am completely, mm. my pyramid is all wonked out, so. Thanks, Paul. That's a really good way to look at it too. And, and um, kind of takes me out of balance or out of harmony, you know, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it there. It's really good. And, and also this, um, uh, you know, the purpose, right. To make recovery available to all. I think that's really big for me to, to, to know um, my actions really should be or need to be, you know, when, when I look at myself and evaluate myself, am I conducting myself in a way to say, okay, Hey, you know, I'm doing this. So that person just like me who was lost, you know, destined to die with the horrors of addiction, um, can get some freedom. And so, uh, recovery available to all. Right. Anybody else have any comments on that paragraph? Our right, folks, we're going to transition into the preface to the sixth edition. So, Allison, Allison, can you read the first paragraph? And we're on Roman numeral 17. Preface to the sixth edition. Many of us have never known recovery without the basic text. Our medium... Our meetings open with readings found in its pages. It sits on the literature tables in our groups, and the book itself has been a constant in our recovery through the months or years or decades. Since the first edition of Narcotics Anonymous, our basic text was published. NA has grown and changed in countless ways. In many respects, the basic text has been instrumental in that evolution. There are more than 43,900 weekly NA meetings today. In 1982, the year the World Service Conference approved the basic text, there were about 2,700. Most places in the world did not offer an NA meeting every night of the week. In fact, most places didn't offer a meeting any night of the week. Now, NA is in 130 countries and we speak 65 languages. The basic text itself is translated into 18 languages. Thanks, Allison. Anybody have any comments for that paragraph? Yeah, Brian, jump on. Yeah, yeah when I read this, you know, I, I just had a, like an overwhelming feeling of gratitude because, you know, it says back in 82, you know, most places didn't offer an NA meeting. Uh, you know, any night of the week. So now it's like seven days a week. Um, I don't have to travel very far to attend a meeting, man. And that's like a, a real blessing because, you know, I couldn't even imagine, you know, just having the literature and, and not that, you know, person to person contact, you know, how, how, how nice it is just to, you know, well, with the COVID and the pandemic, some people aren't hugging right now, but like when I'm feeling, you know, down and out and lonely, man, just a warm hug, of a fellow addict, you know, that can change my whole perspective on the day. So 
you know, just feeling really grateful that, that NA has, uh, has grown such uh, exponentially in this amount of time. So, yeah, that's my take on it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, Jess, and then we'll go Eva. Um, so when reading like this, this first thing, it just shows you, you know, like how quickly NA's grown. Um, I happen to live in a town where there's not an NA meeting any night of the week. Um, it's the closest meeting. I could go an hour north and an hour south, but there's not one, you know, I could go to um, like a different kind of meeting, but for a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, there's not one around. Um, and we... We started one, but then because of the whole COVID thing, like the other people had to move back to their houses. And so um, like, I just, I'm really grateful for, uh, or that I live in where there's internet, <laughs> like that we can keep the connection because without the, the connection, I think like he was talking about before me, it's the connection that I need with people. So like, thank God for Zoom and, and you guys, I can talk to you guys and I can call my sponsor and text my sponsor and, um, I just, I really need that. And so that's all. Thanks, Jess. Ava, what's happening? Hey, yeah, that first line where it said many of us have, have never known recovery without the basic text, but, you know, some of, some of them did, you know. And um, when I think about what my life would be without the basic text, it's really hard to imagine how they managed to stay clean, right? Um, but it goes to show you the power of connection of one addict helping another. Um, just, and the determination and, and desire to stay clean, what that must have taken. Um, but also to jump on what Jessica said, now we can listen to um, meetings in many different countries because of Zoom, right? We don't have to go. I've lived in a town where I had to drive 45 minutes to a meeting and um, early in my recovery, like, you know, uh, like three years clean and, whew, but you know what? I did it. You know, I don't even, I don't, now I think, how did I do that? <laughs> I complain having to drive across town. So, um, when we, when, and then when the pandemic happened and then people were like, people were complaining about having to go to meetings and they were complaining they didn't have meetings and now we have zoom. So, um, I think sometimes what happens in our lives, causes us to remember how important meetings really are because now that we can't have them where we can be in the same room with somebody and feel their essence and their vibe right and share this connection personally I think it's really changed my perspective on how much meetings really mean to me as a whole and what they must have meant to people without a basic text back in the early days mm. like that's all they had they didn't have the basic text all they had were meetings because they didn't really you know they were trying to navigate what it's like to be clean you know? so we have at least some direction now which i need <laughs> a lot thanks eva edgar what's happening yeah i was gonna make a comment about like the same sentence that starting sentence about many of us have never known recovery without the basic text and you know i know for me like especially early on in recovery and every time I had a question about something, every time I was struggling with something and my sponsor would say, read this chapter, read that chapter. And uh, I pretty quickly came to find out that like, you know, this is kind of like the constitution. This is like my rules. This is my, my guide. This is like where I get my answers if I have questions. And I mean, sure enough, you know, I've, if I've had surgery in recovery, which I have, I had to read a chapter and like read about it. And what do I do? And if I feel this way, what do I do? And, you know, I don't know. I just, I've never had an issue in recovery that I hadn't referred back to the basic text and said, well, damn, you know, there's my answer. Um, so I think that's like a really important line for me personally. That's like my recovery would not be what it is today if I didn't have this, you know, so. It gives, it kind of recalibrates my perspective on saying just how valuable of a, of a book that, that I have right here. And that's, that's available to me, you know, anytime it's a resource that I can jump into, you know, and tie into what Paul was talking about a little earlier. And that becomes real 
whenever I get the fellowship with you folk. Right. Eva, can you read the next paragraph? Certainly, N.A.'s growth cannot be attributed to the power of this book alone. But the fact is, the basic text is one of the most effective means we have of carrying the message. Where it is published and distributed, N.A. grows, not just in numbers, but in breadth and recovery and ex breadth of recovery and experience. Our members stay clean 10, 20, 30 years and more. Our fellowship has more and more experience dealing with challenges beyond not picking up this first drug. In the sixth edition, you will read stories of addicts who stayed clean through the loss of loved ones, serious illnesses, raising children, marriage, divorce, getting an education, pursuing careers, and much more. The common thread through all of these varied experiences is that they draw strength from the NA program regardless of how long we have been clean or what life situations we are facing. Over the decades, our members have lived a lot of life on life's terms and have learned a lot about what it means to recover from addiction that, in that context. Thanks, Eva. Have some comments on this paragraph? Paul? Yeah, I, I, we have, we've seen it most recently in Iran um, we have we we weren't allowed in there for a long while, and um, the government finally admitted that there was a drug problem in the whole country. And so, in, uh, NA was invited in, and one of the first things was to to translate our literature into Farsi so that they had literature to use. And that just by that simple act of that translation, the the exponential growth of the fellowship in Iran has been incredible. There are um, uh, videos of meetings happening in football stadiums in Iran, where people will start to come out and there will be members on either side just catching people as they come out and putting them with sponsors. Just a massive amounts of growth in the fellowship over there. So, I mean, just remember that when we're putting that couple of dollars in the basket as it goes around, that that's how we're carrying the message is translations that we never even thought about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, what's the next, what's the next hurdle for us? So it's a worldwide fellowship. Thanks, Paul. Anybody else have any comments? Yeah, Brian's up in. Yeah, I really like how Edgar referred to the basic text as like the Constitution. I, I think of it kind of as like a playbook. You know what I mean? Uh, all of a sudden, you know, we addicts, we put the drugs down and then, uh-oh, you know, here comes life on life's terms. You know, we're not uh, putting something in us uh, to deaden the pain. Now we have to like face, face life as it comes, like loss of loved ones, illness, surgery, you know, whatever it may be. So I can you know, turn to the back of this book and, and read the stories of how other addicts, you know, went through these same situations and how they came out of it clean. So, so that's the hope shot there. Like, this is my playbook, man, how they do it and, and how can I apply it, you know, so I don't pick up no matter what. Yeah. Thanks for that, Brian. And that, that really speaks to, to, to where I'm at too is, is uh, when it says over the decades, our members have lived a lot of life on life's terms have learned a lot about what it means to recover from addiction in that context. And the context there, you know, for me is, is, uh, uh, Hey, can, can you get divorced? Right. And recover and stay clean. Right. Can you, and, 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 and this happened, um, you were coming up on the, uh, on the anniversary of my sister being absolutely murdered by addiction. Right. Can you, can you lose a family member? Can you watch a family member get murdered by addiction? And, but here's the hit and stay clean through it. And, and then, and then take that further. Can you be somebody that people who, who, who go through that come to and say, Hey, could you share with me, you know, how to stay clean a day at a time through that. Right. And that's, and that's the context. I feel that this is being written about our fellowship is growing and we're growing as recovering addicts. And we're able to share this experience in that context of say, yeah, you stay clean a day at a time through this and then 
and then be a source of hope for somebody else. Um, Allison. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I was going to say that um, just that that section um, light, and talking about life on life's terms, that gives me hope that other people, my predecessors have come before me and gone through these things and stayed clean and, um, and they can share these experiences with me. Um, and that gives me hope that I can do it too. Um, so yeah, just exactly what she said to you. So. Donna, could you read the next paragraph? Now with the publication of our sixth edition basic text, we can say NA has in many respects come of age. That process has not been without growing pains, however. In 1983 to 1988, we published five editions, I have them all, and a revision of the basic text. For years afterwards, the fellowship as a whole was unwilling to undertake another revision. Many of us thought that we would never see the day when a new edition of the basic text could be welcomed by the fellowship. And so the publication of a sixth edition is something to celebrate and a real marker of our ability as a fellowship to grow and change. Thanks, Donna. Would you, would you like to make a comment about that too? Sure, yeah. So my edition that I got clean with is the third edition. I have all of them. And, um, and it's the one I tend to read the most. I think a lot of us do that when we get clean with a certain edition of the basic text. That's my book, right? I know where everything is in it. I go directly to it. Um, you know, the other editions, they came out really fast and it was kind of hard to keep up. Fifth edition has been around for a while. So, um, so having an opportunity to get into the stories of the sixth edition has been uh, a real pleasure because um, there's things in there that weren't there when I got clean, right, in 1985. Stories about, uh, you know, people like me. So here's the thing. When I got clean, there weren't any old people in Narcotics Anonymous, right? Old people, addicts didn't stay clean. They died. And um, so uh, as Narcotics Anonymous has, stayed, has gotten older and people have stayed clean, we're getting old in recovery. We're turning 50, 60, 70 years old clean. And like, what do we do, right? Because dances and campouts and you know, all the things we used to do when we were young is like, you know, all good, but you know, for 20 minutes, that's enough. So, you know, like how does somebody stay clean? at my age, you know? So it's good that the literature is um, uh, relevant and that it changes, you know, because the face of NA has changed as much as some of us old timers don't like to think so. I mean, I got it on my phone for God's sakes. Thanks. Thanks, Donna. Any other comments? Paul, what's happening? I, I'm, so, I'm so glad Donna, um, brought that up. I, um, I was thinking back, there was a motion at the uh, World Service Conference to remove that no addict seeking recovery need ever die in the 1989 uh, World Service Conference because people were coming to NA and were still dying, getting clean and dying. And that, you know, it wasn't true what it said on the medallion just wasn't true. And there was a motion. And I, I, I you know, in the infinite wisdom of our, our of our group conscience, uh, we didn't remove that because we, we held out on hope that at some point we'd be, we'd be, we'd get through that. We'd get through that pandemic. Uh, and so I just have to remember that when I'm in the middle of this pandemic is that we've gotten through them before. So good to know. It's cool, bro. Thanks, Paul. Any other comments? All right, the next paragraph. Chapters one through 10 remain as they were in the fifth edition. These 10 chapters speak to many of us in a way that no other literature does, in a voice that is difficult, if not impossible, to duplicate. What is significantly different in the sixth edition text, however, in addition to this new preface, is the personal experience that follows chapters one through 10 comment I'll make to that is, is talking about um, the first 10 chapters speak to, speak to me. Um, that, that isn't a voice that's, that's just about impossible. And, and I have a, a vast resource of self-help books. If, um, 
if there's a topic and there's a self-help book that's associated to that topic, I'm pretty sure that I have something that's addressing it in some way, shape or form. And, um, but I get in, I get into the basic text, you know, and I treat it just like it is a textbook. I jump in and I study it and it speaks to me. Um, so that's going to be my comment on that paragraph. Anybody want to jump in? Eva? So um, I get super emotional uh, when, I'm, when we're talking about the basic text. I got, I got playing with the fifth edition um, when you guys finally perfected it. Thank you. Um, old timers. <laughs> I'm not as young as I look, but I color my hair. Um, but, um, I get, I get, I get emotional because I can't imagine the growing pains and what they look like. And, and when I think about a service area meeting, an area service meeting, sorry, I, and how sometimes it can get super, uh, high strung and high emotion and, um, passionate. That's the word I'm looking for because we're passionate people. Imagine trying to get the, I mean, word for word on a book. I mean, we can't even, I'm sorry, I'm speaking from my area. We struggle sometimes with bylaw revisions. You know what I'm saying? Like I couldn't imagine trying to decide what line to keep. So um, when you guys finally perfected it in the fifth edition, chapters one through 10, um, for the rest of us, meaning me, because that's my favorite one. Um, and the and the and the stories are great, but I feel like one through ten is perfect, right? You guys perfected that, and uh, the growing pains. I know that was the previous chapter, but then it it talks about it here, like it speaks to us like no other literature. And I remember the first time um, I was given a book in a meeting in Portland, um, like, um, and I read it. I thought uh, for the first time, I thought. I, uh, other people feel like I do, right? Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to die alone. Like, uh, they are saying what I'm feeling and I don't even know how I'm feeling in those first 10 chapters, right? Like who's an addict? Holy cow. Like when I read that, I thought, how did they know? <laughs> of course I was, I was young. So, um, but I mean, it was just, uh, I couldn't imagine how difficult that was to try to put this together so that no addict need ever die that finds Narcotics Anonymous, right? So I don't know, that just makes me choke up because I remember just relating for the first time in my life to something besides dope. <laughs> Thanks, Eva. Edgar, jump on it. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to, like, I was thinking about how, I guess, like, I was kind of amazed at the fact that, you know, it's the same 10 chapters, and even though they might have gotten revised, it's still the same content. It's the same purpose. Um, and, you know, I think about, like, these same 10 chapters spoke to, I don't know, my sponsor who's got 30 something some years clean when he got clean and me who's got five years clean and it's like the same impact you know um and I just think that's like a big importance of of the basic text and you know it, it just kind of shows the like you know the the whole point behind the, the that I've heard a lot in NA of like if you want to get what I got you do what I did and it's like here it is, you know, everybody I know who stayed clean for a period of time has done was what this book says, you know, when I got clean, I had to hang on to that, that like, if I do this stuff, it worked for them and it must work for me. Um, so anyways. Thanks, bro. Brian, jump on in and then Jess will ask you to read the next paragraph. Yeah, I really love the first 10 chapters. I mean, for me, you know, it's like the meat and potatoes of the whole of the whole basic text. It's like, you know, uh, why am I here? What is this about? Um, and, and, and it tells me all about who I am. I heard a guy sharing a meeting one time. It was like someone was following him around whenever all this was getting written. And I, <laughs> you know, I feel like that applies to me. 
and then it gets into you know the steps the the steps are, are the key to freedom you know for any addict you know when working this program without working the steps man you're you're really doing yourself a disservice i mean that's where the true freedom comes from you know where you can identify uh you know where you've fallen short and, and now what you can do about it and how you can become a, a better person and carry this message of of hope and, and narcotics anonymous to other addicts so you know i, I don't think these uh first 10 chapters will ever change thanks brian Jess, can you jump in and read that paragraph? It would be. It would be impossible to list all the ways in which the face of NA has changed over the years. And this new edition doesn't pretend to be a mirror reflecting back a perfect image of our membership, but it does aim to represent the richness of our differences as well as it can. The basic text already tells us that any addict is welcome in NA, regardless of what we look like, how old we are, and what kind of spiritual beliefs we hold. Addiction is a disease that does not discriminate and neither does the program of NA. Admittedly, there is a stereotype of the typical candidate for NA, urban, criminal, a needle user, and that narrow vision does describe some of us, but we are also professionals and parents and students and so on, living in cities, small towns, and rural communities in countries all over the world. We can only hope to gesture at our diversity in the space of one book. Even our name itself, Narcotics Anonymous, may not fully describe our membership. Addiction has nothing to do with where we come from or the specific substances we used. Thanks, Jess. I think a comment I'd make on that is, is I'm not sure that the stereotype now, the urban criminal needle user, I don't know if that's as, is, is like it was, you know, years ago. I think it's, um, I think it's pretty wide. I think, it's, I think it's pretty, you know, pretty wide open now of, of what a stereotype uh, for an addict is. Um, I think a, a lot younger too, maybe, you know, the, the folks are considering a stereotype of an addict. At least I, I see that coming into the rooms. You know, I got clean in South, Southwestern PA. I was 16 and I was the youngest in the program by far, you know, by far. And, and um, I was looking around these rooms, you know, and it's like, you know, folk, when they were talking about like, you know, divorced and, and this and that, I was like, I can't relate to that, you know. I can now, right <laughs> after after being cleaned twice. But anyhow, um, but you know what it was, man. That identification piece, like the, the the folk were talking about being desperate to get high, you know, hopeless. And my spirit was like, man, that's you know, that's me. They talked about being desperate to get a day clean. I said, man, I want you know, I want that freedom, right? And so, so I don't know, I don't know if that stereotype still applies now. I was just making an observation there. Anyone else want to jump in and comment on this? Jess, go ahead, and then we got Donna. So um, this paragraph specifically, uh, uh, the next one too, but like I know for me, when I first came in, I would always try to uh, disqualify myself and think, uh, I mean, I am, I was an urban criminal needle user, so I couldn't really do anything there. But like, um, I would look at anything and say, oh, well, this isn't me. You know, like I would read who is an addict and, and like Eva said earlier, um, that's me, but I'd be like, no, like this one thing is different. I didn't do that. So, um, you know, like we do to try to say, oh, I don't need this, um, I'm not an addict, blah, blah, blah. And um, even like the whole Narcotics Anonymous thing, like if narcotics is not your thing, like you can still be a part of this program. It's not about the narcotics. Um, and then like the anonymity that's in this paragraph, you know, that we're all, it doesn't matter what we are, who we are, what we look like, what we did, like we all can, can do this thing. Um, and that's something that's really beautiful about this paragraph to me. Yeah, thanks, Jess. Donna, what's happening? So um, I got clean. When I got clean, the people who had like three to five years clean at the time in 85, 86, they were all this typical uh, urban bikers, used needles or, you know, beat people up, came in with guns on, you know, the whole deal. And so people like me who were 24 from a small coastal town. Uh, I read the literature and I realized that I really did belong here, but I really didn't look like those people. And, um, and I wondered if, if I was going to be welcome. And, um, and I want to say that, I mean, there was a certain population that, you know, like to do the whole thing about if you, I spilt more beer on my tie than you've ever drank in your life kind of thing. But the majority of people were welcoming. If you have a drug problem 
and you want to get clean and you want a new way of life, then you just keep coming back, you know? And after I shared a few times and relapsed over the course of a year, a number of times and talked about how crazy my life was, they said, yeah, yeah, you belong. It's all good. Keep coming back. Right. And, um, but you know, that, uh, uh, identification is so important. People tried to give me an AA big book and I couldn't relate. And I picked up the basic text of Narcotics Anonymous and knew that I was home, you know, whether I was a hot biker chick or, you know, or any of that kind of stuff, you know, um, uh, the literature saved me. It really did. Thanks, Donna. Any other comments? All right, Allison, can you read the next paragraph? Our members come from every walk of life. We are not contained within political or geographic boundaries, nor are we limited by any individual differences in faith or philosophy. No matter what conflicts are unfolding in the world at large, we aspire to an ideal of unity. Our common welfare should come first. Our text explains that this unity of purpose helps us to achieve the true spirit of anonymity, where all of us are equal as members of the group. With that as our foundation, we as individual recovering addicts are each able to find our own distinct voice and to sing a song that is uniquely ours. This new edition presents some of, the, some of those voices. Thanks, Allison. Anybody want to comment on that? All right, Edgar, can you finish? Yeah, Jess, go ahead. And then Edgar, can you finish that paragraph? I was just going to say one small thing, like when it says, no matter what conflicts are unfolding in the world at large, we aspire to an ideal of unity. Our common welfare should come first. So just with this whole pandemic thing, like we got on the Zoom train pretty quick. So it wasn't like we were going to let this stop the connection altogether. You know, we found something that would work for us and then we, we kept the connection going. And, and granted, it's not um, in person uh, as much and as most people probably aren't hugging and stuff. So it's not completely like authentic or the way that it, you know, was, um, but that we still found a way to keep um, the unity during all this. No, that's really good. I'll tag on to that. And then we'll go Paul, Eva, and then, and then we'll have Edgar uh, finish us up with that paragraph, but to tag on to that and, you know, to, to even take that a little bit further with the unity piece, um, I've seen some meetings to, to, to where when the home group members were like, look, um, yeah, we, we can have the meeting, but, but we have members who are still maybe not comfortable coming or something like that. We're doing a hybrid now, you know, we're setting, we're setting up kind of like a little, a, a laptop or whatever. Edgar, your home group, for example, you know, does that. So in just yours does too. Yeah. So, so that's really neat. And saying, Hey, look, you know, we can serve, we can serve both mindsets there. And that, and, and that's just really cool. So Paul, even then Edgar finish us up. Yeah, I, I, there's, it's, there's, I'm thank God for Zoom. Thank God for Zoom. But, and this is the, what is troubling the fellowship right now is, who are we losing because of Zoom? Who doesn't have access? Who, you know, I, my home group is making a point to include a couple of the treatment centers around here as part of the thumbnails in our, in our meeting. And so that they get some access and the ability to learn how to Zoom, depending on how long this all becomes a part of it. But the thing that last night in my home group, there was a guy, and you know, this doesn't happen a lot, uh, happen a lot in Zoom. He, he identified that it was his very first meeting. And we stay on after the meeting. And uh, he, his, his, thing, his thumbnail was up, but he wasn't in the chair. And I thought to myself, you know, that's the part after the meeting where that guy's standing in the corner and there's a group of us going over there or a group of women or whomever are going over there and surrounding this person and getting phone numbers and talking to them that this, this medium doesn't afford. There's no way to go surround that person. I mean, I, you know, you leave numbers in the chat, and, and all of that kind of stuff, but the, the, the therapeutic value of going over to a person and saying, hey, I know this is weird, but we wanna give you our phone number, we wanna, we wanna talk to you outside of this hour to hour and a half, and that's the struggle. 
That's just the struggle that we're facing at this moment. And so, you know, I, we got, and, and hybrids, uh, I think that's where we're moving as far as at least my home group is moving. And uh, I need to talk to Edgar about it uh, after the podcast. So, all right, thanks. Thanks, bro. Eva, what's happening? Um, so just a different perspective is um, on the other side of that is who are we saving because of it? You know what I mean? There are shut-ins. There are, like Donna was talking about, people who are older, who can't get to meetings, who've never had access like this before. So, um, and maybe I look at the cup half full, but I'm thinking of like Jessica in a small rural town, you have a meeting every day, 24 seven now. And, um, mm. and we never had that before ever, unless you live in a big, big, big city. Right. Um, I know that where I live, Salem isn't small, but you know, we have a couple meetings every day, except for one day of the week. I think we have one meeting a day, um, when there's not a pandemic, but now I can jump on any time I want. Um, so who are we saving is, you know, kind of my perspective because of it. And hybrid is right. Like, I do miss that, but that's what I've, that's all I've ever known. But some people coming on new that have never known anything but Zoom, that's all they've ever known. Right? So I think we adapt to what we know, just like the kids growing up today, they know how to get through apps and everything. I have to go to my 10-year-old grandson and say, can you get me? to my, can you fix my phone, right? But I can go to a meeting and I can figure that out. I don't need anything but a book, you know? And and like you said, Edgar, younger and younger people are getting clean because younger and younger people have access to drugs and they know how to do a computer, right? They know how to do that. So um, I, I think that it shows that, that Narcotics Anonymous has matured so much that we can evolve and that, that, that this pandemic won't take us out. We're not like the addicts that they, that, that they think that we are not smart enough to evolve into whatever the world throws at us. And um, I think, ooh, I'm getting all passionate. Um, I think that it shows uh, that, that, that we're gonna survive no matter what because we have a desire to get clean, stay clean, and help the next addict try to get there too. So that's my perspective on that. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so with. Tune in next time as we'll pick up where we left off. We'll chunk these in hour-long sessions. Namaste and God bless.